once. Graveyard Shift by Robert Graver I used to work as a cashier at Blockbuster, you know, the video rental place that went out of business a long time ago. A lot of people have fond memories of trips to Blockbuster. Everyone likes to say that there was something special about going there. Something about walking down the aisles on a Friday night, scouring the shelves for the perfect movie for the weekend. You couldn't plop down at your TV and have hundreds of movies at your fingertips like today. You had to go and get in the car, drive down to Blockbuster but they can never pinpoint any solid reason as to why it was so great. I figure it's nostalgia rearing its head as it tends to do for people. Still, they speak so fondly of their experiences going there as if it was something magical. I do remember being awed by the sheer amount of movies the first time I entered the store, but that memory has mostly faded away, replaced by a visceral horror whenever I think back to my time there. The place still gives me nightmares. At the time I worked at Blockbuster, I was only 19 years old. I still lived with my parents despite the ribbing I got from some of my buddies who had packed their bags and headed off to different universities. Most of them flunked out anyway, but even if I would have flunked out too, I think I would have turned out better. I guess you could say at the time, I was pretty unmotivated, lazy even. I didn't have much of a plan or idea of what my future was going to be. I was taking it one day at a time and trying to enjoy my life with my only real thoughts being which girl I would ask out or where I could buy a bit of weed. My responsibilities at the time were to basically hold down a job so I could have a bit of spending money, and so I ended up at Blockbuster as a cashier. It certainly wasn't a glamorous job, but there were worse places to work. I started out working on the second shift with another guy. He was a bit older than me, but he was cool, and he showed me the ropes. He taught me how to use the cash register, told me my duties, made sure everything was going alright, you know, the usual when you start a new job. It was all pretty simple stuff, but it didn't take long for me to become accustomed to working there. You had your asshole customers, the guys who would get angry at you because the movie they wanted wasn't there, or the guy who didn't want to pay his late fee, but overall, most people were pleasant. The evenings were always pretty busy with people stopping by to pick up a movie after work. It was always lively, and to be honest, the time seemed to fly by. Most nights were a breeze with enough customers to pass the time without being overwhelmed, but Friday nights were almost a hellish scramble trying to assist all the customers in a timely manner. It felt like half the town would converge on our local blockbuster, hungry for movies to watch over the weekend. Families would pour in with their frenzied kids, eager to rent some movies. I didn't really dislike kids until I saw the worst of them at blockbuster. They would invariably scream or throw a tantrum when the movie or video game they wanted was out of stock. They always demanded candy or snacks, and none of them would leave the store happy unless they got two rentals when their parents only wished to pay for one. I had worked there for about three months when my manager, Mr Evans, approached me about potentially moving me to the graveyard shift. Mr Evans told me that the usual night shift guy had quit and that he was having a tough time filling the position. Since I was young and didn't have too many responsibilities, he of course thought that I was the perfect candidate. There aren't, sorry, weren't all that many 24-hour blockbusters, but my store was one of the few and far in between. I wasn't especially keen on the idea, until he mentioned a nice pay rise. I couldn't resist even a little bit more money. Despite my reservations, I figured it would be a change of pace from the busy evenings and the terror of screaming children. I had heard a few rumours of creepy customers coming in at night that gave me pause, but in the end, I decided it wasn't worth worrying about and accepted the position. My first night on the graveyard shift, I was actually feeling a little nervous. 
The sun had gone down and I drove in the pitch dark of night to get to the usual shopping centre. I had never seen a shopping centre so dead. The parking lot was nearly empty at this hour, with most of the surrounding stores having closed about an hour before. I showed up about five minutes before my start time and found the vibe of the store completely different. The lively sounds of kids arguing over movies and people scrambling to get the newest releases were instead replaced with quiet shuffling of the remaining customers as they walked out of the door. It was a bit eerie to have the place so quiet, but I guess that's what I had signed up for. Mr Evans greeted me and explained he was going to be spending the first night with me. I felt a little relieved that I wasn't going to be alone, but also disappointed that it was going to be with the one person at the store I could barely stand. Mr Evans was a bit of a hard ass who didn't like anyone having a spare moment to breathe. You're not paid to stand around, was his favourite line. I'm sure most people know the type. He explained to me in a harsh tone that it's best to try and keep busy to keep the clock ticking. He suggested a list of menial tasks like taking inventory or checking movies for signs of damage, or checking how many late movies there were so we could assess a fee. I say suggested, but even I could read between the lines that what he really meant was, have all of that done before morning or you're going to hear about it. As my eyes began to glaze over from the checklist of tasks he was sacking me with, he began to walk towards the front of the store, waving his hand to signal me to follow. He led me behind the counter to where the cash register was before stopping and turning back towards me. He let out a brief sigh, as if he didn't want to tell me what he was about to, but had to get it over with. Now, we've never had any problems here, but being that you are working at night, there is always a small chance that someone could try to rob the place. I'm not trying to scare you, and this is all in a very rare chance that it does happen. I nodded my head and listened intently as he continued to speak. I was wide awake now as he squatted down to look under the counter. I bent over to look under with him as he pointed his finger at a small black button. This button here is only to be pushed in an emergency. You can reach your hand under here and push it discreetly in case you need help. It will automatically send a signal to the police and someone will be on their way, he said. I'd never stopped to consider a robbery and I'd never been told about the button before, but I guess if I was to be alone, then I should know about it. Still, the idea of being held up at gunpoint for a few movies or petty cash didn't sit well with me and I briefly asked myself if I made the right decision taking a move to this new shift. Nevertheless, I nodded to the manager and told him I understood before he stood up with a grunt, holding a single hand on his lower back. He returned to showing me more ordinary tasks and the rest of the night ended up going pretty quick. It took me about a week to settle into my new position. I had to get used to the typically barren store and the boredom that came with it, the music that repeated itself several times per night on a two-hourly cycle over the store's speaker system didn't help with making things any easier. I found myself fighting to stay awake, sometimes walking down the aisles in an attempt to keep myself energised. The worst thing was how creepy it felt at times to be alone in the store. With it being dark outside, I always found it a little scary. I wasn't a chicken or anything, but being the only building that's still open in the middle of the night felt strange. The store had a habit of creaking or groaning, there were random beeps all over the place. You couldn't hear these noises during the day, but in an empty store, they seemed as loud as fireworks. I'd feel relief when I saw the sun come up, and not only because my shift was ending, even when I got used to the shift, I was still a little on edge. I would often hope that the door would open and a customer would walk in so I could be sure that there was still life outside of the small space at Blockbuster. I could pass some time assisting the customer and we'd often chit chat about movies, but those situations were few and far between. I began to wonder if it was even profitable to have the place open at night considering how few people showed up. I started to spend my time doing those menial tasks Mr Evans had given me. Occasionally, I browsed a vast collection of movies to see if there were any I'd be interested in. 
It was only a job, I told myself, and so the days passed. There eventually came a night where something really strange happened. It was about two in the morning when a bald-headed man walked into the store. As I said, I'm usually excited to see a customer, but this one was a bit different. Something about his head seemed odd. He was bald, but usually you can see a hint of hair growing somewhere. But this guy's head was so smooth, like completely smooth, shining and everything. I could swear his head was also a little too perfectly shaped. He was dressed in a grey jumpsuit with boots, which again I thought was odd. I chalked it up to him being some sort of maintenance man, stopping in after one of his shifts. I greeted him as he walked in, but he brushed past me and went down one of the aisles without a word. So much for being friendly, I thought to myself. I watched him carefully as he seemed to wander the store aimlessly. He did this for about five minutes, never seeming to stop to actually pick up a movie or even look at the cases. It was at this point I was beginning to get a little weirded out. The little voice in the back of my head was telling me that something was amiss. I started to move, wanting to position myself behind the counter just in case this guy was up to no good. But after about 15 minutes the man continued to walk in the same pattern around the store. Down the horror section, past the comedies and back up past the romances. I finally found the courage to speak up. This was all too weird for me. I wanted to do the right thing, ask if he needed help, but sometimes doing the right thing never feels good and this particular good deed didn't feel right at all. I came out from behind the counter and approached a man as he was doing his seventh lap past the comedies. Sir, can I help you with anything? I said with a meek voice. The man stopped in his tracks and I instantly had goosebumps. His head turned towards me this time, but slowly, almost robotically. His eyes were a dull grey colour, but they looked almost glass-like, like an old man with cataracts. And his face, again, it appeared a little too symmetrical, too perfect. There was a sort of sheen to the skin that was tightly draped over his well-chiselled cheekbones. Something wasn't right with this guy. Call it gut instinct or a sixth sense, the shining, whatever you want, I had a bad feeling about him. He looked at me for a few seconds, those milky eyes seemed to be scanning me. Then he turned around and continued walking. I didn't know what to do. I headed back behind the counter and pondered whether I should phone my manager or even the cops. The man was freaking me out, but he hadn't actually done anything wrong. I don't think my manager would be too happy to be awoken in the middle of the night because a strange man was wandering around the store. So I decided to do nothing, and by this point the man stopped walking and was now standing in the corner facing a row of movies. I felt relieved for a moment, thinking he would choose one and get out of here, but he didn't. He stood there like a statue for about another 10 minutes. My heart was racing, unsure of what to do. When I heard the sound of the door open to my left, I almost jumped right out of my skin. Two men entered the store. Both were well-groomed and dressed in suits. One of them wore sunglasses, despite it being the middle of the night. The one man nodded at me, and I returned the gesture absent-mindedly. The night just got even weirder, I thought. The two men in suits headed directly for the bald-headed man who still stood in place. They both took position on opposite sides of the man, each grabbing one of his arms, and then began to drag him forcibly from the store. Was I witnessing a kidnapping? I didn't know what to think at that point. The bald-headed man didn't scream or protest, he didn't even struggle. He only had a blank look on his face. I watched in silence as they dragged him out of the door and put him in the car. The whole thing was over in less than a minute. I once again pondered whether I should call the cops, or someone. My heart was pounding after those events, but being a stupid teenager, I decided it was best to keep quiet. I finished out the rest of the night, but I was on edge, even more so than usual. Any creak or sound had me jumping, and I was even afraid of customers entering the building. I contemplated closing the store, getting in my car and leaving, but I didn't. 
and carried on with the next few nights as things returned to normal. I was beginning to feel less afraid, but I never told anyone about that strange man or the kidnapping, or whatever it was that I saw. One night, a few days later, Mr Evans showed up out of the blue. He told me to do my normal duties and that he'd be sticking around to do paperwork in the back room. It was about halfway through the shift when I heard the door open and a customer began to walk in. My heart sank as I saw that same bald-headed man walk into the store. I immediately felt a tinge of fear creep into me, but I was reassured by the fact that my manager was in the back if I needed him. The man again began pacing around the place as I watched in silence. I didn't even try to greet him this time. I guess he had survived his kidnapping, or whatever that was. He took the same exact route around the store as he had before, but after a few minutes, something must have changed. He stopped in place in the middle of the store and stood there with his back towards me. I was starting to feel creeped out again. I can't pinpoint what terrified me so much, but this guy was bizarre to say the least. His erratic movements and the way he would stop in place and stand there with no purpose to it left me feeling tense. I debated going back to get my manager, but then I saw something that horrified me even more. The back of the man's neck had what appeared to be a barcode on it. Was it some sort of tattoo? I didn't really have the time to think about the implications of that as the man turned and approached the counter. His movements had now transformed into a stilted mechanical gait as he crept towards me. His dead eyes peered at me, his emotionless face revealed nothing of his intentions. It took everything I had not to run out of the building at that moment. The man said as he came ever closer to the counter. His voice was unnatural, too tinny, too high-pitched. Alarm bells were going off in my brain, telling me to get the fuck out. But then again, I didn't. I stood behind the counter until the man stood before me on the other side. Our eyes met for a moment, but I couldn't hold the contact. Something about his eyes wasn't right. I couldn't sense any human warmth within them. He repeated. I could only stutter out a short reply. Well, we have some snacks you can buy, I said, gesturing towards a shelf filled with candy and chips. The spark of nervousness was evident in my voice. He said again. At this point, I'd had enough. I didn't stick around any longer than that. I ran out from behind the counter to the back room to find my manager. The bald-headed man didn't move from his position. When I reached the back room, I found my manager going through a stack of papers. I was sweating at this point. My face was flush. Mr Evans looked at me as if I was crazy. Is there a problem? He asked. There's a weird guy here. He keep, keeps saying something about hunger. I tried to talk to him but he just keeps saying how hungry he is, I spouted out. My manager shot me a peculiar grin and raised his eyebrow. Guy's probably on drugs. I'll handle this, my manager said, getting up from his desk. For a few seconds, I felt relieved that I wouldn't have to deal with the man any longer. I followed Mr Evans out of the room and towards the man. He was still standing at the counter, repeating the word hunger every few seconds. Mr. Evans turned and gave me a look like he didn't believe it, as if to say what the fuck without actually saying the words. I could see a hint of concern in his eyes now too. I think we both knew instinctively that this was far from normal. We should have trusted our instincts and got the hell out of there, but instead we tried to fulfil our job duties. Sir, if you're hungry, there are plenty of snacks here you can purchase, or there's an all-night diner just down the road that's still open. They make a great club sandwich, Mr. Evans said, trying to be cordial. He had that typical smile he had when dealing with customers. The man only stood still, repeating hunger over and over again. My manager stood there baffled, his smile slowly fading away into a scowl. Even he wasn't sure what to do at this point. I'm going to have to ask you to leave, Mr Evans said sternly, but the man didn't move. 
only kept repeating the same word over and over. It was growing more rapid now. The pitch of his voice grew a little deeper, and it seemed to be more distorted each time he said it. I had positioned myself behind the counter once again. I had a feeling this was going to go sideways, but hoped that Mr Evans could take care of the situation. I could see his face going red now. He was going to explode. Hey, did you not fucking hear me? I said get the fuck. My manager didn't even get to finish his sentence when a bald-headed man grabbed Mr Evans' arms around the biceps and squeezed. He began pushing his arms inward, pinning my manager's arms against his own body. Mr Evans yelled and howled, struggling to escape the bald man's grasp, but he couldn't. I immediately pushed a black button. I knew the police would be on their way, but how long would that take? I didn't know whether to run from the building or try to help Mr Evans escape. In the end, I stood rooted to the ground and watched in horror as the struggle continued. Everything seemed to be happening so fast, and I was powerless to do anything. The bald man began to open his mouth, but where a human would have a limit to how far their mouth would open, this man apparently did not. His jaw began to stretch to inhumane levels, unhinging like a snake. His face cracked and began to fall apart. Underneath was not blood or muscle or bone, but some sort of grey synthetic material covered in a white foam. The thing's jaw continued to expand, growing larger and larger. What was once a human head had begun to fall apart as this thing's jaw grew. The nose cracked and fell to the ground. There were wet plopping sounds as pieces of skin and nose and then its eyes fell to the floor. White foam began to leak out, filling the floor with the substance until it seemed it was up to their ankles. It bubbled and churned like it was undergoing some sort of chemical reaction. It smelled similar to the cleaning chemicals we used on the carpets, and that made me want to pass out. My brain went blank, and I found that all I could do was scream at the horrific sight as the mouth of the thing grew even bigger, a massive black void with human-looking teeth dotting the outskirts. I screamed along with Mr Evans until our cries had begun to sound like a demented chorus. He was doing everything he could to try and escape, wriggling his body as best he could, swinging his head from side to side, trying to kick his legs, but it wasn't enough. The thing had an ironclad grip on him. I began to pick up movie cases, candy, a small bell, anything I could get my hands on. I lobbed the items at the thing from behind the counter, hoping that he would stop and release Mr Evans. There was no effect. Even solid hits didn't seem to faze him, and the terror continued. All the while, Mr Evans didn't seem to be able to hold on much longer. The thing's ears began to leak that same white foam as the mouth continued to grow. Eventually, his ears fell to the floor too. There was no longer a face, and I couldn't even call it a head anymore. It was now a collaboration of that strange material and the massive mouth, outlined by teeth, ready to devour whatever it wished. I knew I had to try and help in any way that I could. I didn't like Mr Evans, but there was no way I was going to leave him to fight against this thing while I stood by and watched. I had two options at this point. I could run out the door like a coward, or I could stand up and help Mr Evans. I chose the latter. Like I said earlier, I wanted to do the right thing, but sometimes it just doesn't feel good. I tried my best to mentally prepare myself for what I was going to do. My body trembled, but I mustered all the courage I had and leaped over the counter to confront the monster. I charged towards the thing with a lion's roar, putting all my power into a shoulder slam. I connected with enough force that the thing staggered back a few feet, releasing his grip on Mr Evans in the process. My shoulder stung from hitting him. Whatever material made up this thing, it was clearly tougher than any ordinary human body. To my dismay, the thing was able to remain on its feet. Its mouth head, whatever it was, seemed to teeter back and forth as it recovered from the force of the impact. White foam gurgled out of the gigantic hole as it turned its attention towards me. Mr Evans had fallen to the ground. He was clearly injured. 
He clutched at his ribs in extreme pain, but he still tried to crawl across the floor towards the door. I thought I could buy him some more time if I hit the thing again. I charged at the monster, intending to tackle him to the floor. When my body made contact with it, it was like I had run into a steel wall. Pain shot through my shoulder and down my body. The thing didn't budge this time, not even an inch. The adrenaline I had a moment ago had completely dissipated and was instead replaced by crippling fear. I tried to turn and run, but his hand reached out towards me and wrapped around my neck. It was hard to breathe almost immediately. The pressure on my throat tightened and I was gasping for the tiniest bit of air. I swung one of my arms in a frantic play to try and free myself, but this was a huge mistake. I realised almost as soon as I swung that this was not a great idea, but when you're in a panic, you do stupid things. Everything was in slow motion. I saw the thing's mouth head shift into place so that a good part of my arm sank right inside. There was nothing left that I could do at this point. I tried to scream, but I couldn't. I felt a sharp pain in my arm as its teeth sank into my flesh, piercing through muscle and then my bone. When I pulled my arm back, I was missing most of it. What remained was a horrific stump that spurted blood in an arterial fountain. I felt my vision blackening as I saw it. I couldn't breathe. I began to tell myself that this was the end. That was when the thing suddenly tossed me like a ragdoll into one of the central display shelves. I felt the back of my head hit a part of the metal edge as well as a large part of my back. The shelf tipped over and I went along with it crashing to the floor with a heavy thud. Movie cases fell to the ground around me and I could see blood begin to pool on the floor. Blood began to fill my left eye as I realised my head was now bleeding as well. I could barely move my body at this point. My back had been injured and it hurt to move. I clutched at what remained of my arm, trying my best to stifle the intense bleeding. I saw stars for a moment, but was able to regain my breath and look over to see the thing heading for Mr Evans again, who had not made it far. The only thought that ran through my head at that moment was, you tried, you tried. As the thing picked up Mr Evans once again and resumed what I had interrupted, I was completely defeated. In my semi-dazed consciousness, I let out a cackle. This whole situation was so ironic. A movie store that was now showing one of the best horror scenes of the decade, live and in full colour. Mr. Evans shrieked as the thing pulled him up off the ground. It began to squeeze his arms into his body, the same way it had before. I could see through my hazy vision that Mr. Evans looked over at me in a desperate plea for some sort of help. But no one could help us at this point, and I heard the bones in his arms finally give way with a loud crack. The thing continued to push his arms inward, and Mr. Evans let out one last howl before I heard the final cracking of his ribs too. I saw blood begin to trickle down to the floor as part of his bone had pierced flesh the blood mixed with the white foam to form a visceral soup of bubbly gore. Mr. Evans' torso was being crushed even further by the immense strength of this thing. Bloodied skin and yellowed fat fell to the floor as ribs began to poke through flesh. The harrowing position of his ribs indicated that they had stabbed through the opposing side of his body as the pressure continued. I nearly puked as I watched on in horror. The stench of blood and cleaning agent mixing together was a vile concoction. I felt so light-headed, and even though I'm certain this all took place in less than a minute, it felt like a nightmare that had no end. I could only remain motionless and hope that the police would arrive soon. I could see tears swell. I could see tears welling in Mr. Evans' eyes as the large mouth slowly loomed over his head. White foam dripped onto Mr. Evans' head, and his teary eyes transformed into the frantic eyes of a dying animal before they were obscured by the mouth that was beginning to engulf his head. The muffled screams still came through. And then, with one rapid movement, the mouth closed, the teeth slamming down onto Mr. Evans's neck and then shaking him back and forth like a dog with a chew toy. 
I heard the snapping of his neck and the tearing of flesh and muscle before I saw Mr. Evans's body separate from his head. His lifeless form fell to the ground, more blood squirting from where his head used to be. Bits of brain matter dripped from the mouth of the thing to join the gore soup on the floor. I laid on top of the metal shelf, my body racked with so much pain. I felt weak, close to death. I couldn't stop shaking, couldn't control my bodily functions. I'm ashamed to say that at some point I'd pissed myself. I had witnessed the brutal murder of Mr. Evans by something I still can't explain, and now I feared it was going to come and finish me off too. It lumbered over towards me. I could see the darkness of its gigantic mouth, its teeth stained red. But as I laid there waiting for my end, the thing instead decided to begin pacing around the store. But as I laid there waiting for my end, the thing instead decided to begin pacing around the store. I lost sight of it at times as it moved behind me somewhere, but it would always reappear as it skulked around the store. I could hear the footsteps of the thing as it trudged around down the aisles, each footstep reverberated in my brain as my body screamed out in agony. Eventually, the door opened, and I heard two sets of footsteps enter the building. It was the two men from the other night. They wore suits and looked like some sort of agents. I remember crying out for help, but I'm not sure if anything even came out. Oh, for fuck's sake, one man yelled almost immediately upon seeing the body of Mr. Evans, but he didn't move from his spot. I wasn't sure what was going on anymore. I could hear the thing still pacing around somewhere behind me. The man wearing the sunglasses looked in my direction. It seemed he summed me up, but was completely indifferent to my plight. I heard a beeping sound as a man held down a button on a small handheld radio. Pierce the subject has killed a man. Got another one here that's injured pretty bad too. Bioskins eroded almost completely. How do we proceed? There was a brief pause and a crackling sound came through the radio. Retrieve the subject and we'll take care of things our end. How much did it eat this time? One guy's missing a head. Not a pretty sight. Other guy's still alive. Lost an arm, it seems, the man responded. The radio beeped again. Roger, we'll work on it. The response crackled over the radio. A flash of anger crossed the man's face. Yeah, you'll work on it. We've heard of that before. Why the fuck do you keep sending these things out to interact with people? You could at least test it with animals, or better yet, test the damn things with dummies so we don't have to constantly clean up your mess, the man responded. The radio issued a deafening pop of static once more. Do I need to remind you of who signs your paycheck? Quit your bickering. The testing process will take some time and some sacrifice. Things aren't like comic books. You don't just inject some serum and get a functioning super soldier. We'll iron things out our end. You only need to worry about your job. There was a pause before the radio came back with a reply. You said there was a survivor there? Yeah, kid looks like he's in horrible shape. Probably only has a few minutes left. Should we finish the job? My body tensed as I heard them say that. I wanted to get up and run, but I couldn't. I was too weak. I had lost a lot of blood, my vision was doubling, and then blackening. The room seemed to swirl. Don't bother. It'd be harder to explain the bullets. Sound like he's on his way out anyway, the radio blared. I heard the two men march through the store, and then heard the dull sound of dragging as they pulled the thing from the building. These damn things are never going to work, I heard one of them say as they dragged it away. I heard a car door slam, and then heard the car speeding out of the parking lot. My vision spun as I listened to the faint music playing through the store's speaker, beginning its life cycle for the fourth time that night. I looked over at what was left of Mr. Evans's body. His arms were shattered, bits of bone protruded from the skin, and his torso. God, his torso was crushed to about half the size of what it should be. His ribs had totally collapsed. I winced painfully, 
trying not to look at the area where his head should be, but some sights you can't avoid seeing, and I'll never forget that gruesome image. I laid my head back on the ground and whispered to myself. I tried, before everything faded to black. I awoke some time later in a dull grey room with curtains drawn to my right. I heard the beeping of machines, the footsteps of staff walking the hallways outside. I deduced that I was in a hospital. I was groggy, still trying to process and remember what had happened. Every part of my body seemed to have an ache or pain to it. I groaned as my head throbbed. I could see that they had bandaged up my stump and for a few seconds I felt terror as the realisation hit me again that I was missing an arm. I moved my stump back and forth, not really believing it, but slowly I came to remember and to accept what had happened to me. The rest of my time at the hospital was fairly mundane as I recovered. Nurses would change my bandages, bathe me, give me painkillers, and every now and then a doctor would stop by and check up on me. They told me I was going to be alright, despite losing an arm, and they were right, at least physically I was going to be okay, but the trauma of the event had stung me deeply. I say that the recovery was mundane, but there was one peculiar incident that sticks out. There was a day that a strange doctor walked into my room after one of my physical therapy sessions. He was odd looking, dark circles under his eyes, unkempt hair. I had been seeing two different doctors, who I had become familiar with, but this guy was new. He didn't have the usual ID badge clipped to his coat that every other doctor in the hospital had. He carried a small cup in his hand, filled with some mysterious liquid. He introduced himself as Dr. Matthews and proceeded to tell me that he was sent to give me my medicine before handing me the cup of liquid and then watching me intensely. I thought it was strange considering I'd already taken my typical medication about an hour ago. Go on now, drink up. I looked down at the cup. The liquid was a nasty green colour and it had a strange chemical smell to it. That strange smell brought up a heap of painful repressed memories of my night at the store. I didn't feel good about drinking it or this new doctor. Well, what is it? I asked. It's for your recovery. They told me to bring it to you, he said, before resuming his intense staring. I was feeling leery about this guy, his gaze fixated upon the cup in my hand, and he stared with an intensity that frightened me. As I was pondering what to say or do, one of my regular nurses walked into the room. She eyed up the doctor for a second. Excuse me, who are you? the nurse asked. The man babbled out something about being a consult for another doctor and he was only here to bring me my medicine. For the same reasons as me, she didn't seem to buy this and with a sharp tongue told the man to get out before calling security. The man shuffled out of the room with haste after that. I don't know what happened after that or any of the details about the guy. The nurse took the medicine away from me and that was the last I heard of the incident. I went through a long depression after my release from the hospital. My life was irrevocably changed with the loss of my arm, and I was haunted for a long time by the death of Mr. Evans. I felt like I could have done more to help him, to help us escape from that nightmarish thing. I replay the situation all the time in my head. I still have the image of his lifeless body drilled into my brain. I ended up moving across the country shortly after my recovery. I needed some sort of positive change, and thought that would do the trick. The blockbuster I worked at never reopened after the incident. In fact, there was very little talk of the incident at all, no real news articles, even the police seemed disinterested in pursuing justice. They had questioned me about what had happened, but in the end I don't think they ever caught the thing or the men involved. I've thought a lot about what that thing was. 
and the only explanation I can muster is that it was some sort of freak experiment set loose on us. I don't know who was behind it, the government, a secret organisation, some strange cult? I don't know, but I don't think they wanted me to know about it. I spent a lot of time looking over my shoulder and I have the perpetual feeling of always being followed. There was the false doctor and lately I've had cars tailing me for suspiciously long periods of time. Last week a weird van was parked outside my house and I saw people I've never seen before walking the sidewalks in my tiny neighbourhood. I've never told anyone this story before but because of these events I feel like I have to. This event completely and irreversibly ruined my life. I'm scared to go out, scared to do much of anything. I have no idea what the hell that thing was. I can still hear it, the high-pitched, tinny voice repeating hunger plays again and again in my head. But the thing that truly scares me the most is the fact that this was created over 20 years ago. Think of how much technology has advanced in that time. If they created that thing over 20 years ago, I can only shudder when I think of what they can create today. Graveyard Shift, written, performed, and edited by me, Robert Graver. Once is curated by Florence Hood, and the credits music by Ben Hood. The audio supervisor is Kat Soloviev, and special thanks to Naomi Hopkins and Eleanor Whiteley for help with our scripts. To find out more about us and our contributors, head over to at OnceFictionPod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also support us on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com forward slash OnceFictionPod. You can make a pledge and gain access to bonus content. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.